0: Good morning, Jim. We start with how are things today, Ralph? Well, things are kind of interesting and good today, Jim. How so?
1: Well, we uh, found out through doing a little searching around on the internet that a we're on Spotify. Yeah, that was a real surprise. And b we are number sixty-four in the top hundred uh, podcasts about psychology.
0: Wow, yeah, that is pretty exciting. I'm I'm excited about that, Ralph.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's really uh, kind of good. It indicates that uh, there's
0: the occasional people listening to us. Well, we do have, it says on Facebook in a Facebook group, um, twenty seven thousand, and uh, so, but we don't know where you are. So hey, get in touch with us sometime. Yeah, send us some comments. We we always enjoy reading them. Yeah. We're going to do something a little different today, Ralph. Normally we look at one subject and maybe do three or four um, podcasts like AI or, or social media. Today we're going to take a look at three different things in the world of psychology that are kind of interesting. And our listeners can find more information about these things under uh, Learn More. Okay. And then we'll uh, also talk a little tiny bit at the end about a course that we're working on. No, we've worked on and we have it available on implicit bias training for healthcare professionals. Okay. Uh, and
1: one of the things, speaking of healthcare, that we're going to talk about today, uh, just to lead into it, is the magic
0: of sleep. Now, we've talked about this before. Sleep is certainly a biological necessity. Um, but it's kind of interesting that there are different. I guess there are different time periods for sleep. Uh, young children, you know, babies will sleep for sixteen hours a day. Now, if you ask the parent of a young child, uh, newborn, you know, does the kid sleep? They'll tell you, no, no, never. I don't get any sleep. But actually, the the research says that they sleep about sixteen hours or so.
1: Okay, so about uh, two thirds of a day.
0: Yeah. And we know that teens should be getting about 9 to 10 hours sleep. Okay, growing, developing bodies, developing minds uh, need more sleep. Uh, Yeah, unfortunately, the teens that my colleagues and I work with are not getting anywhere near that amount of sleep. And it shows in their performance. Right. But how about uh, people in, uh, senior citizens? Senior citizens probably uh, should get
1: more sleep than than they do. One of the things that uh, seniors often say is, I lie down and, uh, you know, I sleep for 20 minutes and then I wake up and then I, you know, I'm awake and yep.
0: so uh, they don't probably get as much as they should. Okay, now I mentioned infants, I mentioned adolescents, I mentioned seniors, but there, there's a Block in there that I have not mentioned that it's pretty absent when it comes to sleep research.
1: Yeah, the uh, sort of what would you say, working years?
0: Yeah, I think uh, midlife.
1: Midlife, yeah. uh, people from maybe uh, uh, 30 to uh, 60, 65, yeah. 60. Uh, and we find that many of these people are, in fact, uh, uh, burning the candle at both ends so to speak. Uh, You you never did
0: that did you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes I did. (laughs) Okay.
1: And one of the things that that is interesting to me Jim about that is we're finding uh, increasingly that people in that stage of life who don't get enough sleep One of the things that happens to them uh, often in later life, and they say, well, there's no cause and effect relationship here, but we're finding that there is a hard problem um, in your midlife years.
0: Yeah, you know, Ralph, I think I just uh, um, muted us for a minute there. So why don't you say that again?
1: Okay. People in midlife. In midlife, uh, so you get enough sleep in midlife, you reduce your chances of having a heart attack, uh, having a stroke, uh, developing diabetes. Uh, It is a very powerful preventer from later life health
0: problems. Okay, what about cognitive problems like dementia?
1: Well, it seems to have an effect on that too, although the research on that is still uh, indeterminate.
0: Yeah, because there are so many things that that feed into it feed yeah. into it yeah okay so that is one of the things that we looked at this week uh, a article in a neuroscience um, magazine online magazine but there's another one that uh, you pointed out to me Ralph and that's the universal nature of music
1: yeah now one of the things that um, we are finding out increasingly <clears throat> is that upbeat music, Um, and I don't care whether it's uh, show tunes, or pop music, or uh, even classical that has uh, some energy.
0: That kind of thing. That kind of thing, yeah. Or rock and roll is here to stay, it will never die. Yeah. Okay. All of
1: these kinds of musics that are upbeat. Yep. We feel them in our arms and legs, and they make us want to get up and move and dance. Okay. And, and music that is quieter, not necessarily melancholy, but more subdued. Uh, Swan Lake. Tony Bennett, uh, okay. you know, the yeah. Velvet Fog singing. Uh, um, a song, a love song, but in a in a mellow way. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these, we don't feel in our arms and legs; we feel in our chest.
0: Uh huh. Okay, so here's the idea. Suppose I'm working at my computer, uh, and I've been working for um, an hour or so. Would it be a good idea to go to uh, YouTube, uh, YouTube and put on a kind of a a rock thing, so I get up and move around in the office?
1: Yeah, I mean, even if it's only for three or four minutes, Mm -hmm. uh, that energizing music will do two things. One, you move your body, so, um, you know, um, work in the mind, play in the body, Uh uh, and it gives you a chance to... Uh, relieve some of the tension and stress and the neck pains and all the things we get from sitting at our desk for a couple of hours straight and it also energizes your mind so you come back and say hey now that problem that I had writing that I couldn't solve it Mm -hmm. it now
0: seems to be much more penetrable I I know what to do here. Yeah we've talked about this before Ralph there are various tricks and techniques that we can use to actually get you out of your mind or get you into your right mind. Yeah. Okay. Now, the mellow music that you're going to feel in your chest, um, what's the purpose of that? Well, uh, suppose, for example, that uh, you
1: come home and you've had a, a stressful day and and somebody has come along and... Uh, given you uh, a problem that you don't know how to deal with and you're uh-huh. wrestling with that all the way home in your car or on the streetcar or however you get there and you get into the house and what you want to do is just say, I've got to calm down here.
0: Aha, uh-huh. okay, so, so it's a calming response. It's a calming response. For, for the, the, the stress that you may have experienced as you're confronted with this particular problem okay yeah
1: and then one of the things you can do then when once you get kind of calmed down is put on some danceable music and dance around your house you might look like an idiot i mean i look like i'm having a, a spastic attack when i dance but <laughs> hey
0: i have fun so yeah you know. and especially if you're in the uh, uh safety of your own home right
1: yeah, your, uh, your partner might look at you and say,
0: Is something wrong, dude. But uh, yeah, you. Uh, Sheila does that all, all the time with me. Okay. Um, so you calm and then you energize, right? Right. Yeah. You know, there's music on, on YouTube that uh, I like, and it's uh, often referred to as sleep music, sometimes it's referred to as harmonic music. And I think I'll find one and put it up under uh, learn more uh, so that people can experience it. Because when I do therapy with my uh, younger clients, if I were to put on Swan Lake or something recognizable, they'd go, hmm, what are you doing? But I can have this other stuff in the background and I can actually see the calming effect of this, uh, sometimes it's called space music.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, I uh, I remember a, uh, a program on uh, PBS years ago. Uh, Echoes? Echoes, yeah. It's
0: still there, I think. It's you know, probably I think, still there, yeah. I think on, it, it, on our PBS station, I think it's from 6 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock on Sunday, when most people are probably sleeping anyway. <laughs> but if I can... If I have long term enough memory, I will see if I can find that. Okay. Uh, John Libretto, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh then, you know, we uh, we have uh bounceable dance music, we have calming music, we have um you know music um oh think about the old uh Westerns that a lot of us like. Uh, yeah, many of the uh, pop qualities, I guess you would call it, of Westerns have very little to do with the guys in the white hats and the guys in the black hats. We all know how it's going to come out, but the music itself pulls us into
0: the story. You know, that's a really good point, Ralph. I had not thought of it. I know you are a big uh, Western fan of, and, uh, you know, I think back to my uh, younger days, the Lone Ranger had uh, a specific theme, right? Uh, right. Uh, uh, William Tell Overture?
1: The William Tell Overture, yeah. yeah.
0: But the one I really remember is the old Clint Eastwood spaghetti Westerns. Right, And they right. have this wild, eerie music, mm, you know yeah
1: and uh, that was part of their attraction I think mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't think about the music yeah in terms of the the movie but it was something that was just there and it pulled us in
0: yeah it's like I mentioned a moment ago having music the the uh, calming music in my office when I'm working with a, a child you know it doesn't It's not subliminal, it's not even, you know, the the kid is uh, aware of the music, but it's not obtrusive, as you say, it brings them in. Okay, so music calms the savage beast or is abreast? Yes, yes.
1: Now, in addition to music, uh, we also have found uh, that some recent research uh, done in actually Norway, has revealed the importance of something that many people have kind of put away as old-fashioned. What's that, Ralph? That is the power of the pen. The power of the pen? Yes. Okay. Now, the power of the pen is not so much in the idea that... Um, you write immortal deathless prose with a pen, mm-hmm. although we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. It's the idea that instead of sitting down at your computer and keying things in with limited finger movement, actually when you're writing by hand,
0: You've got much
1: more... You've got much uh, more arm and hand movement Right. The other thing is that it activates different centers in your brain. So it's
0: more of a connectivity thing.
1: Right. And one of the things that we're finding is uh, that if you write by hand, uh, you take notes, for example, in class by hand, you're likely, more likely to remember what you write by hand than you are if you bring in your tablet and key in your notes. Mm -hmm. So people who key in notes, they might get very effective note-taking ability in the classroom, sitting there keying it in. But then they find that they, uh, two weeks later, have to go back and review their notes and think about them because they don't remember what was said in class two weeks ago. Mm. People who write by hand Mm. have a better memory of what happened in class two weeks ago, whether they review their notes or not. Interesting.
0: You know, you mentioned that a while ago, and you challenged me to challenge my very small class of seven students to uh, take notes by hand versus using the, uh, the keyboard. And I have not done that yet, Ralph, but I think I will. But I have one student who has a tablet, uses a tablet, but she writes with something or other on this tablet.
1: Okay. So she's doing handwriting on a tablet.
0: Yeah. I hadn't, I don't know exactly what's going on there, but. I,
1: one presumes that there's a translation program that takes her cursive and turns it into typeface.
0: I guess so it would be interesting to have her on the podcast yeah because this whole idea of of being able to express yourself well in written form versus handwritten form versus the type form is something that both you and I have experienced you when you were trying to write poetry
1: yeah and I discovered you know I I wanted to uh, keep a poetry journal I guess you could call it of my own creation and so one day I took um, a number 10 or 11 poems that I had writ written and I'd written them by hand and so I sat down at the keyboard and I, I put them into uh, a um, Times New Roman I think was the default I was
0: using at that time so I typed them in And yeah, it's a nice, neat font. I've seen your handwriting, Ralph. (laughs) Yes, Uh, and
1: chicken tracks. uh, You know, I I think I qualified for uh, an M.D. basically just on the the uh, illegitimacy of my handwriting. (laughs) Uh, But
0: is it illegitimacy? Well, there's another word. Illegibly. Okay, there you go.
1: Uh, So anyway, I. You know, I wrote in this, uh, oh, I'm, you know, keying them in, and I've got them. And then I was there over the keyboard and looking at a blank screen, and I thought, okay, now's a good time for me to write another poem.
0: Of a deathless poem.
1: Yeah. And I couldn't do it. Absolutely nothing was happening.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Total blank, just like the screen. Now... 15 minutes later, I'm sitting in the living room, and I've got um, a little notebook and a pencil, and I'm thinking about, you know, how nothing came to me. And I started writing, nothing came to me. And then...
0: Sitting here upon the couch, yeah, Uh, nothing (laughs) came to me. Nothing came to me. Uh, A knock upon the window. A raven, did I see? (laughs)
1: Whatever. Yeah, and so twenty minutes later, I had another poem that had nothing to do with. uh, Nothing came to me, but you know, it it was just a very different experience to find that I could, in fact, write the kind of poetry that I I wrote which believe me was not poet laureate stuff but I could not do it on the keyboard yeah that's pretty interesting
0: now I had a similar experience most of the stuff that I have written over the years I've written I think uh, 50 articles and 10 books and almost all of it was first of all written with longhand then I would give longhand work to my secretary and we go back and forth with the editing process. And I believe that you told me that uh, Hemingway did the same thing.
1: Yeah, Hemingway did uh, a lot of his early stuff, uh, the newspaper stuff he he did uh, on an old-fashioned typewriter, which is maybe closer to writing by longhand than a keyboard is. But once he became um, fairly, I wouldn't say wealthy, but once he was able to afford a secretary, he started writing all his stuff by longhand, giving it to the secretary. She would type it in, in a, again an old-fashioned manual typewriter, give it back to him, he'd revise and edit,
0: give it to her, and she'd type it again. That was probably his wife Hadley that was doing this at the beginning. Yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. wouldn't you love to have some of those uh, typed and revised manuscripts? That would be very
1: interesting to yeah. find. You know, because Hemingway is is really known for writing very short, clipped sentences. I mean, that was the, the Hemingway style became something that. Everybody was trying to
0: emulate. Right. It was called experimental writing at the time. And Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas were you know, proponents of it. Um, you know, we can get into, into writing and the, the creativity of writing. And I think maybe we should do that, Ralph, in the next uh, podcast. We'll look specifically at how you get your ideas down. Yeah. And, and maybe where they come from.
1: But in the in the meantime, uh, let us simply say we'll continue this conversation next podcast. Yeah. And, and in the l-
0: meantime. And look at, uh, uh, learn more to see about implicit bias training.
1: Okay. Talk to you next podcast. In the meantime,
0: this keep is, your yeah. stick
1: on the ice.
0: Because we're all in this together. together.